From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today, we look at school absenteeism policies and a new study examining their disproportionate impacts on non-white students. So these disparities were enormous, and yet the criteria of missing school was about the same. So we just started digging, and the answer was not hard to find. We welcome study co-author and University of Tennessee professor Clea McNeely. She discusses what her team learned about absenteeism policy and juvenile court outcomes. The policies kind of hit you in the face, just looking at them, at how blatantly racist they are. And some key takeaways for policymakers, school leaders, and other stakeholders across the U.S. We are creating inequity with our systems. And we need to look at the deficiencies in our systems and not simply point to perceived deficiencies and deficits in families. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Hummeller, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, we're happy to welcome Clea McNeely, Research Professor with the College of Nursing at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Thanks so much for joining us, Clea. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So today we're discussing your new article, which was co-authored by Basu Alemu, Juan Lee, and Isis West, titled Exploring an Unexamined Source of Racial Disparities in Juvenile Court Involvement unexcused absenteeism policies in U.S. schools. It was just published in AERA Open, and it it takes a comprehensive look at absenteeism policies in the U.S. and how they can disproportionately harm non-white students and their families in lasting ways. To start, could you just give us a little bit of context? How do absenteeism policies intersect with the justice system in America, and what drew you to this line of research? Sure. The intersection of absenteeism policies and the justice system goes back probably 150 years. And it all started when the decision was made to make education mandatory. And as soon as that decision was made, you needed to enforce attendance in some way. And yet there were valid reasons for missing school. So out of this situation, different states and districts have developed laws and policies that distinguish valid or unexcused and unexcused from absences that are invalid or often termed deviant or unexcused. And these, we have a common language, we call them truancy. And 43 states uh, currently have laws defining what truancy is and either allow or require certain responses. Many of those responses occur within the school system themselves, but some of them occur within the justice system. And after so many unexcused absences, students are referred usually to the county attorney's office And that can go into a court diversion program, a petition to court, or something in between. It can also 
occur through things like suspending driver's licenses. And your second question was what drew me to this work. And it was actually very simple. I was asked to evaluate a court diversion program to prevent truancy. And the idea of a court diversion program is that originally, once a student accrued a certain number of absences, they could be petitioned directly to the court. The school could call up the county attorney and say, this kid is not coming to school. I've done everything I can. Can you please bring him into juvenile court and and force him or her or they to come to school? And that was problematic because it was highly punitive and it was really clogging up the juvenile courts. And kids were arriving in the courts in May and the courts were saying, well, what are we supposed to do about this at this point? So the idea of early intervention came in, which is after just five or seven or 10, depending on the districts, we'll refer the student to the county attorney's office And then they will engage in early intervention and prevention activities, which range across states and districts from a series of parent meetings to some punitive measures to the provision of social services. And this is also very much in recognition that the reasons students are missing a lot of school are complex. And it involves difficult situations such as mental health issues, homelessness, family, family challenges, uh, school refusal because of bullying, and a lot of complex issues. So the idea of early intervention, early prevention was making more and more sense. So could you walk us through your approach to this work? What kinds of questions did you go in with and how did you attempt to answer them? We went in with the very basic question of, does court diversion improve attendance more than a direct petition to court? And we found out that it does not. And we can talk about why that's another topic. But in the process of doing that evaluation, we found that white students did not miss particularly any more days of school than American Indian, Asian, Black, or Hispanic students. But they were much less likely to be petitioned to court than American Indian and Black and Hispanic students. And this was by a lot. So by the end of 10th grade, 7% of American Indian students in this location, which is a metropolitan city in the Midwest, and its suburbs, had been petitioned to court for truancy, compared to 1% of white students. And for black students, it was 4%, and for Hispanic students, it was 3%. So these disparities were enormous. And yet, the criteria of missing school was about the same. So why were these punitive approaches being applied so much more heavily, especially to American Indian Black students. So we just started digging, and the answer was not hard to find. The answer is that American Indian and Black students are twice as likely 
to have any given absence determined to be unexcused. So to be really clear, let's say you have white students and black students, each with 10 absences. And for black students, 24% of those would be unexcused. For white students, it would just be one absence. So you could see how black students could accumulate enough absences to be referred into this court diversion program twice as quickly as white students. So unexcused absenteeism is the criteria for getting into court diversion. Court diversion is the criteria for eventually getting petitioned to court. So, okay, we need to be looking at why are American Indian, Black, and Hispanic students being assigned so many more unexcused absences. And from there, we started looking at the policies. And when you know the numbers going into looking at the policies, the policies kind of hit you in the face just looking at them, at how blatantly racist they are. And that is how we came to start looking at the connection between policies, unexcused absenteeism, and petitions to court. And by policies, those specific policies we looked at were definition of what counts as an unexcused absence. That portion of this paper, to me, was one of the most intriguing aspects. The examination that you performed of absenteeism policies in uh, 97 districts across the country. Could you uh, walk us through what you learned there? Sure. Before I talk about the policies, I want to talk about how policy is made, because that will explain why these policies came to be and why, at some level, it all makes sense, even though the outcome makes no sense at all. And the idea is that the dominant group, in this case whites, middle-class whites, they write the rules. And the rules that white people write are focused on white people and are focused on achieving the kind of accountability that white people think is appropriate for their lives. And we call these policies colorblind because they are race-neutral. They never mention race, they never target race or ethnicity, and the people who implement them often are never thinking about racial equity. So all of this gets very, very hidden. And these policies embed this idea, this core, and I'm going to say American value because blacks and whites equally subscribe to this, of individual responsibility and merit. In theory, that may sound great. In practice, it results in racist policies. So now I've kind of given this very big theoretical overview. Let me get really concrete. The things that are excused are things that we deem have merit. So obviously, if you're ill, and that has merit because we don't want you in school to infect other people. We don't need to look beyond COVID for that example, uh, but you need a note from a doctor. Also excused are things like working elections, going on school field trips, college tours, and this one really made me laugh. In Southern California, 
if your child is is an actor, he, she, or they are excused as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also excused are visiting a parent in the military and if you need to travel for a funeral. And then this is my absolute favorite. If you take a vacation and it's prearranged, that is also excused. So I think the things I'm saying most listeners went through a system where those were the things that were excused. And you can go, yep, check, 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 check. Those are all excused. And then the way the policies are set up is that anything that's not one of those things is unexcused. But what are the things that are not those excused things, right? A lot of the things that serve the same function for middle-class white people are not excused. As an example, if I make a prearranged vacation to take my family to Orlando, to Disneyland, that is excused. If I don't have money for that vacation, and if my grandmother comes to visit me, or I take a mall day with my mom, unexcused. If I visit uh, my parent, uh, my parent travels for work, I need to travel with them, excused. Uh, my parents in the military, I have up to five days per year to spend time bonding with my parent. My parent is incarcerated, unexcused. And we know 11% of black children in school have an incarcerated parent. It's not a small number. So all of these things result in a disproportionate number of absences being unexcused for American Indian, black, and Hispanic children even when they are serving the exact same purpose that they do for white children, which is to support family functioning. In addition, actions to support the family functioning, like needing to go to the immigration office to translate for your parent, needing to provide child care because a parent is called into work and told they will lose their job if they don't go in or if they have to go in and the, and the sibling is sick. Those are all unexcused. So who is to say that staying home with a sick sibling is developmentally less appropriate or actually, as defined by law, deviant compared to, say, going on a college visit or going to, um, what's the term, when you follow your mom or dad at work, right? Take your child to work day. That's excused. So all of these values that are embedded about what counts and doesn't count as excused show up in these policies and they result in a disproportionate number of absences being unexcused for minoritized students. And, and as you mentioned earlier, the unexcused versus excused absences are just one part of the equation. In this study, you also examined in three districts the intersection between those unexcused absences and involvement in juvenile court. Could you walk us through what you learned there? So we asked the question, to what extent is the disproportionality of a petition to juvenile court for truancy due to this disproportionate coding of absences as unexcused? Does that explain all of it? 
does that explain some of it? And what we found is that it explains a large proportion of it. And that varied somewhat by racial and ethnic group. So American Indian students, for example, are 5.5 times more likely to be petitioned to court in these three districts. And after taking into account the disproportionality and unexcused absences, they were still twice as likely to be petitioned to court. But that still is explaining more than 50% of the differences. So going from being 5.5 times as likely to being twice as likely, it's still too much of an, of an inequity. But it points to the fact that this coding of unexcused absences in and of itself is a major driver in the disparity of petition to court. We found that for Black students, it explained most of the disparity. The finding for Black students was a little bit sensitive to how we measured attendance, which, is, which you can measure in different ways. But for the most part, it explained much of the disparity for Black students, and it explained all of the disparity for Hispanic students. So these findings come at a time of reckoning here in the U.S. following more than a year of civil action and high-profile proceedings all centered on racial inequality in law enforcement. Given that backdrop, I'm curious what you think the implications of this study might be. Uh, what can policymakers, school leaders, teachers, and even families take away from this work? The prevailing paradigm in language around inequity in education is one of gaps. There's an achievement gap. There's an attendance gap. There's a gap in petitions to juvenile court. It's always using the language gap. And gap implies a deficit. And the deficit is inferred to be the deficit within the families. And when you have categories of families defined by race primarily, that becomes cultural racism. These type of people have certain deficits, and it's usually given an economic argument. They have deficits because they're poor. They have deficits because they don't understand the value of education. They have deficits because they don't prioritize education. And this research, I think, helps to turn that paradigm on its head and maybe points schools and researchers and educators, points us back to ourselves to say, we are creating inequity with our systems. And we need to look at the deficiencies in our systems and not simply point to perceived deficiencies and deficits in families. So this is, a, for me, a very clear arrow to point back for school systems, criminal justice systems, for county attorney's offices, to really take a look at our mindsets, our policies, and our procedures, and look at what we're doing to perpetuate inequity and what we can do differently to perpetuate equity. And finally today, do you think that there are opportunities here for future research, either for your team or others who are working in this area? 
I think there's there's a lot of room and need for more research in this area. This is just a first study. And one of the things, one of the reasons that there has not been more research is that data on unexcused absenteeism is very difficult to get as a researcher. We got this data through court orders, actually. Uh, it's not publicly available. California now is releasing data at the individual student level on unexcused absences for every student in the state. So there's a rich resource there for researchers to start studying this more in depth, and we're doing that. The other avenue that we are going in is we are having weekly conversations. We just have a standing meeting with the head of attendance for a major school district and the main, the lead county attorney who runs uh, one of these court diversion programs. And this is an, in, in a different area than where we did this study. And a, and a lead social worker. And we are having weekly brainstorming sessions around these findings to try to begin to think about even the process to go through to reconceptualize what policy should look like. Whose voice counts? Who needs to be at the table? What questions do we need to ask? Because the mindsets are so entrenched around absenteeism policy, the things that we assume that we don't even look at are so deep that we are just starting at the place of what do we need to talk about and who needs to be at the table to talk about this so that we can do something more transformational than a tweak here or a tweak there. In terms of immediate policy change, I think that can be done as well. Simple changes such as excusing visits to incarcerated parents, that can be easily documented. For American Indian and Hmong students, for example, funerals are not one day long. They can be multiple days. Those should all be excused. We also looked at to what extent the policies varied in terms of how long you could be sick without a note from a physician or a healthcare provider. And some of these policies actually border on the incredulous. Uh, one school district, for example, not, and not just one, but several, had the policy that you could only be out of school for one day without a doctor's note, but you couldn't return to school if you had a fever for at least 36 hours. So they were just setting kids up for unexcused absences. Many school districts suspend students for unexcused absences and then count that suspension as an unexcused absence. It's really a rabbit hole, quite a fascinating rabbit hole once you get into these policies. All of those could be relatively simple and immediate policy changes. Well, this is great work, Clea, and we want to encourage our listeners to go read the full article. Again, it's titled Exploring an Unexamined Source of Racial Disparities in Juvenile Court Involvement unexcused absenteeism policies in U.S. schools, and it's now available in AERA Open. Clea McNeely, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, you can find us at researchminutes.org. 
to share thoughts on today's episode or to suggest a future topic, you can follow us on Twitter at CPreHub. That's C-P-R-E-Hub. <laughs>